The following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. In honor of Father's Day, I want to open today's message with a brief video, so not even one minute long. So please watch this with me. So that's a Dove commercial. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but watching that makes me want to buy some soap. Um, but I want to share that video with you because, you know, I found it to be actually really refreshing. It really, I think, portrayed a lot of the small but important roles that dads play in the lives of their children. And let's be honest, in today's day and age, it's very popular to mock fathers, right, to minimize the importance of fatherhood. And this is so uh, prevalent in our culture. And, you know, I, I was thinking about some of the best-known dads that are portrayed on TV over the past few decades in my lifetime. And, you know, you have guys like Archie Bunker, who are, like, lampooned as, you know, these lovable bigots. Um, you have these clueless uh, idiots <laughs> like Homer Simpson, uh, you know, family guys, Peter Griffin. You have dysfunctional dads, these has-beens who are kind of reliving their high school days like Al Bundy from Married with Children. And you even have like these well-meaning goofs like Modern Family's Phil Dunphy. Um, I don't know if you watched that show. But dads are such easy targets, you know, because we often make ourselves easy targets. Uh, sadly, I think much of this is well-deserved. Uh, because generally speaking, I think... Um, you know, a lot of us dads have, have really struggled at being dads or good dads. And so many of us have abdicated our God-given roles and responsibilities as fathers. And, you know, maybe think, what, what are the repercussions of this? Because, um, you know, I grew up in St. Louis. And a few years ago, uh, a few days before Thanksgiving, uh, I go to St. Louis every Thanksgiving to, to see our family. And I was driving my family down to St. Louis, and this was back when, um, if you guys remember, the whole Ferguson thing was kind of blowing up. And there was a young 16-year-old uh, uh, kid uh, named Mike Brown who got shot, um, apparently, by uh, a white police officer. And I, I remember there was just so much tension in the city of St. Louis. And Ferguson is, a, is in the north suburbs of St. Louis. And I remember as we're driving to St. Louis, um, I remember that night they were actually going to announce the verdict for you know, what was going to happen with this cop. And if you guys are old enough to remember the L.A. riots, like, it just, everything just kind of went crazy. And it was just like martial law. And, and so I was kind of nervous. And as I was approaching the city, it was like, oh, man, they're going to announce this, like, at 6 o'clock. And that's right where we're getting in there. And I don't know what's going to happen. And so we're driving in, and they announced it, like, 30 minutes before we actually end up hit it, driving into the city. And I was like, which route should I take? You know, I don't want to go near Ferguson, you know, or... I don't want to go near downtown. East St. Louis is a horrible place to drive through, too. And so I remember taking a wrong turn, and I ended up in the downtown area, and there were, like, all these armored trucks everywhere, you know. And um, they were just getting ready for massive riots. And, you know, and there was. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as the L.A. riots back in the 90s, but it was scary. And it really made me think about, you know, being my hometown, like, what, what happened here? Like, how did this come about? And I remember, you know, reading some of the statistics because, you know, um, you know, we see a lot of this, especially in the inner city, you know, where you have a lot of young guys that are having a hard time really uh, cooperating with the cops. We have cops who are so scared that they don't really know what to do. And so 
uh, a lot of times they're they're um, overreacting to in certain situations and and causing a lot of of, uh, of things that happen like this. And so, you know, one statistic that came out that really stuck out to me um, was that for every hundred black females in Ferguson, it says there only exists sixty black males, and that was shocking to me. S- like, nearly half of the males in Ferguson are just gone. They're not, not even there. And what I realize is they're either in jail, they're either um, drugged up or in gangs, or they're just dead. And it really grieved me because I thought, man, what, what has happened? You kind of see what happens in a town like this when fathers just literally disappear. And, um, you know, I don't want to portray this as simply an inner city problem either. I think it's kind of magnified in that place. But I think it's, it's, and it's really glaring because fatherhood has disappeared uh, in so many ways uh, over there. But I've told my wife, Kim, many times, you know, I, I wish I could hit the rewind button as a father. Uh, so many mistakes that I've made uh, that I wish I could undo. So many things I've said that I wish I could unsay. And, you know, why is it such an incredible challenge to be a good father? I mean, have you ever come to church on Mother's Day and heard a sermon about how moms need to step up and be better moms? No, we never hear messages like that. (laughs) I'd get fired if I preached a message like that. But it's not strange for, you know, someone to come up and talk to fathers and be like, you know, we need to do a better job as fathers. And to call out dads. Because I think largely this is because moms really have fulfilled their roles in a lot of ways as mothers better than dads have, right? Can we be honest about that? So in the next 20 uh, minutes or so, I I just want to bring honor back into the role of fathers. And I want to encourage the men here, whether you're a father or not, really to rise to that challenge if you have kids, if you're going to have kids, and to be faithful to that high calling as fathers. And, you know, I hope we can see the, the biblical ideal of fatherhood as God intended it to be so that our families might experience the rich blessings that flow out of obedience to his will and to his word. Right. So I'm going to be speaking primarily to the dads in the room today. Um, moms, don't take copious notes. This, you know, this isn't really so that you can use against your husband or your dad, father. But really it's about... You know, I think there's something, though, for, here for all of us. You know, if you have a dad, if you had a father, if you have a father, good or bad, I think this message is for you, too. Um, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, it says this. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That's a really profound statement if you think about it. You know, immediately before this verse in this section, Paul is revealing to the church in Ephesus that God has this amazing plan in which he's bringing salvation to the entire world, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And to the, for the devout Jew, this is actually very startling news, right? And so as he opens this prayer in this next section, Paul is revealing that God is a father not just to the Jews. He's a father to all. And he says God was a father before any of us men ever were fathers. So, 
When God refers to himself as a father in the Bible, I think it's important to remember that he did not draw from like this earthly example of father or daddy to explain something about his love and his attitude towards us. And what I mean is, after God created mankind, he didn't sit up in heaven thinking, you know, how can I get these people to understand um, how much I love them? Oh, I'll explain it to them as if, as if I'm a father, because they get that. No, it's the other way around, actually. What we learn is that the Heavenly Father was, the Heavenly Father is, the Heavenly Father always will be. The Trinity was, is, and always will be. And as a Heavenly Father, God created the earthly example afterwards to reveal to us something profound, something true about Himself as our Heavenly Father. And so through having fathers, through being fathers, we're given, a, we're given these small glimpses of the ultimate father that we're all designed to long for and to love. And I believe this is important because once you understand this, you can, be, you can begin to understand that one of the central roles of a father on this earth is to model our heavenly father in heaven for our children. A heavenly father that is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, who does not treat us as our sins deserve, who doesn't repay us according to our iniquities, as it says in Psalm 103. Dads, in your role as fathers, you are called to model the love and the goodness of our Father God. To be one of the first and most faithful pictures of God in your child's life. That is an awesome responsibility. And I believe this is one of the most natural ways in which God goes about revealing himself to young children and building faith into a young person's life. It doesn't just fall on a youth pastor. It actually falls on the parents and especially the father through the faith and through the function of the father. And so for this very reason, I also believe that there are forces of evil that are doing everything within their power to derail and to discourage fathers. And we see that in our culture today, don't we? You know, they want to derail fathers from being what God has called them to be. Because if we are what God has called us to be, what a powerful picture of the gospel. Think of how our children can just see God in and through us. And so due, but due to sin and due to the effects of sin, every father on earth is really, at the end of the day, just a broken and incomplete picture of our perfect Father in heaven, right? Um, I've shared this very briefly, I think, um, when I gave my testimony um, as an elder, but I grew up with a, with, um, a dad um, who was a pretty typical Korean dad. He was a physician, uh, you know, worked very hard. Um, he was a good dad, and he loved me, and, and I knew that, and yet when I was in junior high, especially 12, 13 years old, I didn't feel like he loved me. Um, you know, I think as, a, as a, an Asian, especially a Korean man, like, you know, you don't show your emotions. That's just the culture. And so uh, I never really felt like that I could understand, you know, his love towards me because I think, honestly, he had a difficult time expressing it. And I know his dad had an extremely difficult time expressing it to him. And so for Koreans, love is kind of expressed as providing for your family, Right? If I feed you, if I clothe you, if I give you the things you need, you know I love you, right? But um, 
I think in a lot of ways that, that was formative in even my perception of what my Heavenly Father was like. And I, and I didn't like my dad, to be honest, in junior high. In fact, I hated my dad. And I hated life. And I shared this before, but I remember specifically in eighth grade sitting on top of my roof just crying and crying because my report card was so horrible. I knew my dad was just going to come down hard on me. And I remember thinking just, I want to jump off this roof right now. I want to end my life. And it just made me think about how, you know, all of that shaped me. And how, as I've grown in my faith, I begin to realize that even though my father was a good man, a good Christian man, an elder of our church, he, he was flawed as well. And his, his fatherhood towards me affected my view towards God. And it wasn't until I got later in high school that I really began to understand what my heavenly father was like. And that my, his love towards me wasn't dependent upon whether I got the grades or performed or did the right things or lived a good life. But, you know, praise God. Now, you know, my, my dad is, we have a completely different relationship today. He's actually probably my biggest prayer supporter. He calls me and he emails me all the time. Saying, what do you need prayer for? And he just prays for me every day with a group of other men. And I'm just so thankful for that because I know, like, I would have never imagined a relationship like that um, 20 years ago. Um, so how do we go about being a faithful picture of our Heavenly Father to our children? How do we become the fathers that God has called us to be? Well, if we advance a few more chapters in Ephesians to Ephesians chapter 6, I think we see some very simple instructions for fathers on what you are to do and what you are not to do. So let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. It says, As children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is every parent's favorite verse, right? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the mandate for dads. And so God calls children to live under the authority of their parents, right? He says, obey your parents. This is right. But did you catch the instruction for fathers? It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, in the training, in the instruction of the Lord. You know, the NIV translations, instead of provoking anger, it uses a single word. It says, exasperate. Don't exasperate your children. Right. Now, why do you think God instructs fathers not to provoke their children to anger? Why does he tell them not to exasperate them? Because, guess what, dads? We're really good at provoking anger in our children. <laughs> We're really good at exasperating them. And so as a result, God finds it very necessary to put in his word, hey, don't do that. <laughs> dads, stop that. Right? And I think this idea of being provoked into anger may remind you of something that you read in the Old Testament because it's actually very similar in wording. It's actually the same type of language that God uses against his own people many times throughout the Old Testament. You know, the Israelites are in constant rebellion against God, and in that rebellion, God's anger is often provoked. But God's anger is never a sinful anger. It's a righteous, it's a just anger. And you may find this hard to believe, but this is the same type of language that God applies to your, our very own children, towards their fathers. Sometimes they're angry at you. And guess what? 
They have every right to be angry. Now, um, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every time your child gets mad at you that it's a holy and righteous and justified anger, right? I'm not saying if you don't get them the latest iPhone that you are a wicked parent deserving of hell. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. In fact, most of the time, it's your children's own selfish, sinful nature which stirs up a sinful and selfish anger. But I also want to make you aware of the fact that there are times, there are times when out of no fault of their own, you will provoke an anger inside of them that is justified because you are the one that's actually sinning against your children, sinning against them as a parent. And God says, don't, don't do that. That is not a faithful picture of me or my love for you. You're stumbling them. And in a moment, I'll get into some specific examples of when or how we might be doing this, not just as fathers, but as parents. But fathers, recall in verse 1, it says, God calls children to honor their parents by living in obedience under the authority of the parents. And then immediately after this, God calls on fathers to do what? To lead in a way in which their children long to be led. How many, how many of you here have had like a horrible boss at work? Just, it's okay, you can raise your hand. There's no video here. So if you've been working for any amount of years, chances are you've run across some pretty bad bosses. I, you know, um, I've had about 10 bosses in the course of my 20 years in the corporate world, and I'd say I've, I've had one or two that were just really horrible. And it's, it's really miserable going to work every day when you have a, a bad boss, isn't it? And so have some empathy for your children. <laughs> You know, God calls your children to live under your authority. You're their boss. If you're a bad boss, think of how miserable that is for them as children, you know. And sometimes they have to chafe under your sinful authority and my sinful authority. And, and so if you think about how difficult it is to be a child under your parental care, think about how hard it is to be under a bad boss because that's really what's happening. And so we're told in broad terms that we are not what we are not to do, but God doesn't just end there, right? He he tells us to stop doing this, and he, and he tells us to start doing this. And verse 4 goes on to tell us, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does this mean? Well, when I first became a parent, I thought this meant I must indoctrinate my children with the Bible. They need to memorize verses. We need to do family devotions daily. We must recite theologically sound catechism. We homeschool for all, right? But I'm not saying any of these things are bad. They're actually good things. But I think what God is calling us to do here is more than just cram truths into our children's brains. I think God is calling us to proactively build and create an environment that is ripe and fertile for the gospel to grow. You know, we live out in the country, and um, I don't have a green thumb, but you know, we own like two acres of land. We're actually um, selling our home and, and moving. But I've had to learn that one, one of the things I've had to learn living out in, with that much land is like how to grow grass because grass dies all the time out there. I mean, we get snow plows that pull up the sod. And so every year I'm having to plant grass. And I don't want to buy the sod that you kind of roll out like carpet. That's really expensive. And so I usually just buy some grass seed. And what I've learned over the years is like there's really um, only one way to do it. And you've got to do it right. And you can't just throw grass seed on the soil and expect grass to grow, right? 
uh, you have to break up the soil. You gotta throw down some topsoil. You gotta lay down some fertilizer. Um, you gotta get peat moss and cover it all up, and it protects, you know, the soil. It keeps them from the birds, and it keeps the seeds in place. You gotta water it and keep it moist, especially in the first few weeks. And um, you can you always tell. I could always tell when I skipped a step, you know, because it would be real patchy. <laughs> the grass wouldn't come up, or it'd come up real thin, and just end up dying. And I think in the same way, dads are called to cultivate an environment in which the seeds can grow and seeds can flourish. And it's more than just, you know, throwing some memory verses or doing a devotional or trying to speak, you know, the Bible into their lives. It's more than just throwing seed. It's about creating a a place and a space where that seed can grow and flourish. If you want to see your children flourish, if you want to see them grow in the Lord and, and grow in their faith, we're not just called to throw down seed. Right? So let me close uh, this message with a few uh, practical applications. This is not meant to be a comprehensive list. Um, we are just now, Kim and I, parenting through adolescence. We have a teen. We have a preteen. We have a nine-year-old girl going on 16. and uh, So I'm sure this list will grow longer over time, but I just want to share with you, uh, especially for you young parents or for you folks who one day hope to have children, because I want you to learn from my mistakes. Okay, I've made a lot of mistakes. And if I could go back 10 years and talk to myself as a young father, these are some of the things that I would say. These are some of the things I would tell myself. You know, you need to stop doing this. You need to start doing this. So I came up with 10 things, five that we should do more of or don't do, and five that we should not do. Okay. So first, um, I'll start with the don'ts. Um, it says, don't provoke your children to anger. What, what, what are some things that we should not do that, that do that, that provoke our children to anger? Uh, one is, I, I think we should just, don't lecture, right? Don't lecture. Uh, not every moment in your child's life has to be a teaching moment, right? And so sometimes grace is best demonstrated to your child as a parent, when you actually refrain from stepping in and saying something, even when you and your child knows that you can, right? Allow God's voice in your child's life to be more than just your voice, right? Your voice is not the only, nor is it always the voice of God in their lives. Give the Holy Spirit room to speak into the quietness of their own hearts. And that takes faith. That takes discipline as a parent. I'm always trying to correct my children, and it's natural. But it will go a long way, I think, if you can just hold back at times. Just allow your children to hear from the Lord, not just you as, as a mother or father. Second, don't. Don't be a hypocrite. That's pretty obvious, right? You know, I don't think there's anything that will hinder your children from the faith more than when they see that the faith that you profess is not really real in your life. Right? Why, why would they want that? You know, and I know it's hard because none of us have mastered this Christian thing perfectly. Right? There will be moments where we are hypocrites. We're, we're all on a journey. This is a process. And yet, as much as you can, live authentically in your faith. Don't be one person when you enter into these doors and a different person when you get in your car or when you get home. Your children will notice right away that hypocrisy. Right? And it will hinder their faith. So don't be a hypocrite. Third, 
Don't fail to keep your promises. Um, I've done this many times. No matter how small. You know, I, if you guys have watched any of these family movies, you know, um, Liar Liar comes to mind, you know, where you have these like career driven dads, you know. It's always like the same story, right? This dad who wants to be a better dad, and yet, you know, he's got he's to work, he's got to go to this business trip, he's got to take this call, he's got to be at this meeting, and so he's always breaking his promises. You know, I'll be at that game, doesn't show up. You know, I'll be there to tuck you in, not there. And, you know, to us, it's like, well, you know, I've got to put food on the table. There's, there's so many ways to justify that. I've got to keep my job. I've got to get promoted. And yet, in the mind of a child, it's a big deal. Especially in the mind of a child who may see you as a picture of a heavenly father. Like, God would never, ever fail in keeping his promises. So, we as fathers need to be faithful in keeping our own promises, no matter how big or small. So, we might be faithful to that picture. Amen? Fourth, don't berate. Don't scream at your children. Um, your words, your tone becomes their inner voice. And this is everything you say to them and the way you say it will just echo in their minds for a long, long time. And that's actually a pretty scary thought, isn't it? Because I know I've said a lot of things that I really regret and I wish I could take them back. And, and yet, um, you know, I know I've, I've had to repent many, many times for things I've said to my own children that I, that I, 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 I hope would not echo in their minds, you know. And so be very careful on how you speak to your children, what you say to them. They, it, it really sticks and it resonates in their minds. And they begin to believe what you say about who they are. Fifth, don't don't bury your don't bury don't bury your face in your phone. <laughs> okay, I mean today's day and age, um, it's so easy to do that, and I'm guilty of this. Um, I get a lot of emails from you guys throughout the week, <laughs> and it's very easy to like pick up the phone constantly when I'm eating dinner, you know, um, when I'm hanging out with my family, and my wife Kim is constantly telling me just please put away the phone, <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to get better at it. And I think we all need to get better at it. Is this phone can like really um, take us away from being the fathers that God calls us to be. And what it communicates to our children is like, this is more important than you. Right? And so don't bury your face in your phone. In fact, if you can, just when you come home for dinner, just set it aside. It can wait. Wait till you put your kids down. Then pick up your phone. Right? Okay, now, those are the five don'ts. The five do's. Here are five things I think you should do. Be proactive in as you bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do. Do let them fail. Please let them fail. <laughs> we are so bad at this. You know, uh, if, if you're anything like me, I'm a helicopter parent. I don't like watching my kids fail. And so I come in with my little helicopter, like, you know, and save them, you know, from destruction. But that's like the worst thing you can do as a parent. Because, I mean, when I reflect upon my own life, I've learned so many things. In fact, the biggest things I've learned is through my own failure. Why would we rob that from our own children? Let them fail and be okay with that. In fact, celebrate failures from time to time. It's okay to fail. This is how you learn. This is how you grow. You know, um, 
my oldest son, he's going to be 15 this summer, and, and he, he makes a lot of bad decisions, you know. And it's really hard to watch a teenager making really bad decisions. And I remember talking to Joseph about this. You know, he's a physician, um, our elder Joseph Chung, and he was telling me about, you know, honestly, there's actually something physiological going on too. Like teenagers, they have this thing called the prefrontal cortex, and it's, it's not fully developed. And so what happens is the rational part of a teen's brain actually doesn't fully develop until they turn 25. That's a long time. <laughs> and um, it, I finally realized why they don't rent cars to anyone under 25. I think it's because of this prefrontal cortex thing. Because they're going to make stupid decisions in this rental car. And it made me realize, you know, why did God do that? Like, why, why does it take like a quarter of a century before you fully develop your brain? And... And I think what I realize is like, you know, they're at that age now where they're going to leave the house and they're going to make some really stupid decisions. And they're going to fail. And that's the way God wants it. Because if I constantly swoop in and try to save, them, save the day and rob them of that learning lesson, they, they're not going to learn. And they turn 26 and they haven't learned a thing. They've just learned that they can't experience failure. They just implode. And we see that actually in this millennial generation today, Right? We see so much of that. So let, let them fail. It's okay. We've all failed. And when we do that, I think we, really, we leave room for the gospel. You know, who needs grace if they never fail? Right? Let them fail. Do have fun. You know, if, you can just, if we can just have fun with our kids, they'll, they'll never forget that. Just get down on their level and just enjoy what they enjoy. Don't force them to enjoy what you enjoy. You know, celebrate life. And, you know, I, I learned this the hard way. When, when Kim got really sick and we didn't even know if we were going to have a mom anymore, like we treasured every single day. Every moment was precious to us. I remember if, if we had a, you know, it was like March and it was 70 degrees, praise God, let's go to the park, you know, because guess what? That's a gift. And, um, you know, my kids have learned the hard way. Like you can't take every day for granted. Um, so enjoy life. This is the way that God wants it to be. And what a powerful witness that is. And we, more than anyone else in the world, can enjoy the life that God has given us. Third, do. Do protect them in every way. This is your role as a father. I'm not just talking about lock the doors at night, set up your alarm system. I'm not just talking about a physical protection. I'm also talking about like an emotional and a spiritual protection upon your children. Okay, a couple examples I could think right away, and this is something I'm really horrible at and I'm working on, is um, I want to protect my kids emotionally in that I want to make my home a safe place where they can express themselves emotionally, and it's okay. You know, I, I get very easily frustrated when my kids start crying. You know, I was like, come on, you're a guy, stop crying, you know. And, and I've I realized I've had to repent of that because... If they can't cry at home, if they can't express their emotions to me as their father, wh- where can they do that? Where, where can they do that? And so I want to make it, uh, protect their emotions and make this a safe place in which they can express themselves, right? And, and really explore their emotions and really understand what's going on in their heart through that gift of emotions that God has given them, right? doesn't mean that their emotions are always right, but, but not to invalidate it every time you see it expressed in a way that you don't agree with. Uh, protect them um, spiritually. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things, and I'm going to tell you this as a young family growing up, is you've got to protect your kids from what's out there um, when it comes to the Internet. You just have to. 
you got to get ahead of it. And it's, it, it's so crazy, like, what kids can access through their phones, through smart tablets, whatever, computers. You've got you've to protect that from them. I mean, it's just, you know, I think the, real, the world, secular world actually recognizes this as a problem even before the church has, which is really kind of sad. And so you need to get in front. You need to protect your kids from really harming themselves spiritually by exposing their eyes to things that they should not be seeing. Right? I mean, I've seen kids. I coach baseball for my sons. I see kids who are like 10 years old, and I can tell right away they're addicted to pornography, and they're 10 years old. It's real. And I don't want us to bury our heads in the sand. Like, we have to get in front of it. And the longer we wait, the harder it is to, to help our kids to understand what we're trying to do. Okay? Fourth, do ask for forgiveness. We mess up as parents. When you mess up, don't be afraid to ask your child for forgiveness. Um, my parents had a hard time doing that again because it's not part of the Korean culture. When they were sorry, I always knew because they'd take us to McDonald's after they got really mad. <laughs> and we were okay with that because I really liked, you know, McDonald's. But still, it would have been nice to hear from their own lips, like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have blown up at you. I'm sorry. I, I lost my temper. I'm sorry. I put that unfair expectation on you. And what a powerful picture of the gospel it is to our own children if we can ask them for forgiveness. I guarantee you, your children will show you grace and mercy <laughs> after they get over the initial shock of, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> they will. Because they will be shocked that you are coming to them. You know, and what a powerful model, I think, of, of the redemption and the reconciliation that we find in Christ and the way that our Father in heaven accepts us. Ask for forgiveness. Lastly, do let them see you limp, okay? And I'll explain what I mean by that. Let them see you fail. Let them see you grow and live out your faith. You know, in the Asian culture, it's, it's so um, taboo to show your weakness, right? You've got to show strong. You can't cry. You can't, you know, you can't even fail. You can't even show that you failed. But, you know, one, a really good pastoral mentor friend of mine, a few years ago, he, he sent me this email with just one verse, Genesis 32, 32. It was about Jacob, the patriarch in the Old Testament. And it says this, Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because God, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And what he was re- that verse is referring to is when Jacob, you know, met the angel in the middle of the night, He's, and he wrestled with God all night long. And eventually God touched his hip and basically dislocated it. And he had a limp, presumably for the rest of his life. Walked around with this limp as a reminder of his brokenness before God. And my friend wrote this in the email after that verse. He said this. He said, the degree to which your kids, your friends, your spouse see you limp through life, leaning on God, and drawing from him strength and faith and depth, this is the degree to which they will value your legacy. They won't remember your success in climbing the corporate ladder, the size of your bank account, your athleticism, or your musical giftedness. They will remember what they learned as they watched you limp. There's no shame in limping, for it's there that others see his reality in us. 
Amen. I can't put it any better than that. Let your children see you limp through life, depending on the Lord, leaning on his grace, drawing upon his strength. That is the most powerful witness you can give to your children. That will build fertile soil for them to flourish and grow in their own faith. Uh, I'm going to close with a poem. Uh, I'm not much of a poet, but once in a while I get really inspired and I write a few lines. And so um, I hope it blesses you. Um, And I want to close today's message with just this brief poem. It's called, If Dads Only Knew. If dads only knew the power they possess to inspire a child's heart and bring out their best. If dads only knew that it's not gifts of great privilege, but his talks and his touches that shape a self-image. If dads only knew that a child's God perception is formed by modeling our Father in heaven. If dads only knew the dark forces against him, you take down the family, you take down a nation. If dads only knew that they're just stewards from birth of what belongs to God only and what belonged to him first. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite the worship team up so we close in um, one last song, if that's okay. Fathers, uh, you have a great calling that has been placed upon your life because God has given you a great gift. And that is a life. He's given you children to love. He's given you children to lead and to grow into faith. And they will be under your care for 18 years and then your time is done. What will you do with the time that you've been given? Mothers, you have a high calling as well. You have a calling to raise your children in the way of the Lord, just as fathers do. But you also have a calling to support your husbands as fathers. Your husband, as a father, he may not do everything well. But I'm going to be honest. If your husband works hard to provide for your family, if he tries to love your children, then that is worthy of honor. And I'm not saying that it can or should stop there, but there are so many homes in this country today where they don't even do that. There are places like Ferguson where men aren't even there. Dads aren't even there. They're just gone. And so if your husband, if your dad, if your father is trying, bless him, honor him, pray for him, support him. He has a lot on his shoulders. He has a lot working against him. So support him as a mother, as a wife. Lastly, um, you know, I want to acknowledge those in the room who did not grow up with a good father. Maybe didn't even have a father. Maybe you've grown up in a broken home or you've grown up with a bad or absent father. And, you know, even in a message like this, I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to lose heart because I believe that God can and has used even our brokenness and our broken situations and our broken homes to draw us to himself. That is what a sovereign God can do. 
You know, a good earthly father blesses us with a small taste of our heavenly father's love. But I also believe that a bad or absent father is used by God to create a profound longing for a better and a greater father, a father in heaven. And this may be exactly how God has ultimately drawn you to himself because of the hole in your heart that's been left by your earthly father. Your father in heaven loves, loves you. He loves you completely. He loves you perfectly. Just trust in that love. Rest in that love. 